I, I think that, I mean, as short as the clip is, I mean, I, I think it really draws attention to what the Reformation is, was, was about. Um, because in, in, in the Catholic Church then and, and now too, uh, to a great degree, um, they, there are so-called crutches, as, as you refer to in there. And I, I love the line um, when he's saying, well, if you do away with all this, I'm paraphrasing, but if you do away with relics, if you do away with the rosary, if you do away with the sacramental system in the Catholic Church, because it was a means of being more sure of something that you actually could never be sure of in the Catholic Church, still today, by the way, um, what do you put in its place? And, you know, it's really profound that Luther says Christ alone. Because all this other stuff is extra. And, of course, we're talking about salvation here. So on Saturday we were talking a little bit about these things called indulgences and how people would pay for them, or not only for themselves, but they could also purchase indulgences for those who were deceased. And uh, they would have... They had the practice of having the mass for the dead, too. So in other words, if you have a, a family member, in Luther's day and prior to that, if you had a family member that, that had died and, and you wanted to take time off their, their time in purgatory, what you could do is you could pay a priest to offer this mass for that dead person. But the odd thing is, as we see it, among other things, not only that teaching, but also the practice, the priest alone would commune, no one else would commune. So you would have these masses for the dead, so a family member or families would pay the priest to have this mass, and just the priest was there. Well, how did you know? See, the thing is, how do you know how many of those you have to do to get them out of purgatory? Yeah, and, and, and see, I, I think that's also a factor, too, because... The, uh, you know, we've heard the phrase lording it over. That's a, exactly what the Catholic Church was doing. I, I think at the time, especially, and, and still even today, I mean, to be a good Catholic, it still has to do with obedience to the church. Well, when they were doing the indulgences, you know, and it said, you know, as the Cohen, what, as the Cohen goes into the box, the soul springs. Right. Okay. Well, so then you know they were out of purgatory. So if you were going to do something, indulgences would have been the way to go. Right. A, a plenary indulgence that would take care of everything. Um, I kind of wonder, though, what kind of file system the Catholic Church had. You know, I mean, in terms of, you know, they, they give this piece of paper. Do they keep records of it, too? So they would have, you know, maybe it's in the, what is the place called in the Vatican? The... Um, not the library, but the archives. You know, I wonder if they're there. Because uh, apparently <laughs> the, the, the church, I, the, the, the Roman Catholic Church kind of has oversight over this. And they're the ones that determine this many years, that many years. And we have we have issues with that, of course, because where do you find that biblically? Well, you don't. No, well, um, this is just, yeah. But, but on the other hand, we have those who say, well, you know, um, when it comes to when it comes to the age of accountability, how do you determine that age, and so on and so forth? Again, it's it's a similar argumentation, but it's not from Scripture. You know, it's you know you have to base it on a authority, but which authority? 
Is it reason? Is it people, the church, um, and the individual? And that's what we call a cult, right? So if, if, if uh, like David Koresh, you might know his name, right? I, I think when I hear, think of Waco, Texas, because I've heard people talk about Waco, Texas around here, it's like, oh, that's where David Koresh was, right? Um, but we call that a cult because these people are following one person, a leader. Um, and, uh, you know, he's leading them, of course, not to heaven. Um, but they, they urge obedience to the leader and his teachings and the like. Now, it's different from, from Christianity because Jesus Christ is not only a man, right? He's also God. But the, whether it's the Catholic Church or whether it's someone else who claims to have authority that is not Scripture, and they're making these judgments, that is where there's error. You know, so, you know, Lutherans are really good, I, I think, at asking the question, um, what does the Bible say? What does the Bible teach about these things? Because the ultimate authority is Scripture. I was having a conversation the other night uh, with, with someone about this, you know, and uh, with, with the Reformed and, and, and many Protestants when it comes to the Lord's Supper, when it comes to even salvation by grace through faith and so on and so forth, often you'll hear from Baptists and others, we believe the Bible. But when you get, get down to it, the nitty-gritty, you know, concerning the sacraments, concerning um, free will or the lack thereof, when you talk about salvation and God's grace and, and so on and so forth, it's almost as if, you know, they claim the Bible, but it's not really the Bible that is fully authoritative for them. Does it make sense? Is it logical? Is it reasonable? Parts. They use parts of the yeah. Bible instead of right. use, and instead of referring to everything in that subject that's in the Bible, they only refer to a certain yeah. part of that that fits their right. their yeah. uh, curriculum. Their, their teaching, their doctrine, their, you know, their, their, their faith, uh, their way of life, you know, as well. I mean, I, I think it's, especially today, I mean, it's always been this way, but we, we I, I guess we could say there's, there's, you know, at least perceptions uh, today, generationally, that, you know, would, would see this. But it's, it's one thing to say, well, I believe the Bible and what the Bible says, and then live totally contrary you know, to how the Bible, what the actual, the Bible actually says, you know. And, you know, you, I kind of wonder, too, because, like, Pete Buttigieg, for example, right? Uh, Mayor Pete, that, you know, um, he, he, I think he would claim that the Bible supports homosexuality. What do you think? Well, he, he's, he's a, or he claims to be a Christian, right? But how can you do that when, when there's all these admonitions contrary to you know, is you know, and you know, I mean, you could you could multiply that. I, I, I use that as an as an example because it seems quite an extreme example, because Paul speaks of that. You know, we we've, we've addressed that a little bit in, in Bible classes over the several weeks, several months, whatever. Um, and it, it's just they're they're working with a different foundation than what the Scripture actually says. And I, I think with the Catholic Church, one thing that you'll notice, or that, that has been noticed with reference, especially in the Reformation era, 
and today is that the authority in the Catholic Church is not only scripture, but it's also what they call tradition. Right. Yeah, and, and those are kind of combined. So when they talk about the ecumenical councils, for example, you know that that is, um, you know, that's what they would consider tradition. And I've had conversations with Catholics before about this. In fact, um, I think I, I think his name was Peter, um, and uh, he's probably a priest now. But I remember uh, dialoguing with him. He was. A, a diehard Catholic, but it was really enjoyable talking with him because you knew where he stood. And uh, you know, he, he's one like you could you could ask him a question: Does the you know do you believe what the Catholic Catechism says? And he would say yes. You know, and, and abide by tradition, not not kind of a what I would consider a loosey goosey Christian or loosey goosey Catholic. You know, kind of in the sense, well, I'm Catholic, but you know, contraception is okay. You know, I'm in favor of abortion and, and, and those kind of things. That's that's not true to Catholicism. You know, he, as the, he said he was in favor of No, no, no. I, I'm I'm giving an example. I, I think he would certainly be pro life. Okay. You know. And uh, I mean he was he was what I would consider hardcore almost almost uh, probably pre Vatican II, what is called like traditional Catholic, you know, um, which uh, I, I remember this with uh, when the Passion of Christ came out. If you remember with, um, oh, why can't I remember his name now? Uh, Mel Gibson. Right. I think he was a pre-Vatican II Catholic. At least the, the, that, you know, that was said anyway. Uh, you know, kind of, you know, hyper-traditional Catholic. Uh, you couldn't tell from the movies that he's done. Uh, I'm thinking Lethal Weapon and <laughs> a few other movies. Um, as well, but uh, but you know at least you know and, and why I appreciated talking with him and actually I was leading a, a Bible class, uh, a Bible study on on campus and he would uh, regularly attend and we would get into dialogue and you know I, I wouldn't I, I don't know if I would say debates but he would have really great questions you know and we would spend time especially afterwards talking uh, but I knew where he stood and I think he knew where I stood too you know and. So, you know, we, 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 we could uh, at least expect the other to say what we expected them to say according to what the, the church, what, what the churches actually teach. Um, whereas today it's entirely different. But in Luther's day, I mean, there was no question. If you, if you questioned the authority, you were almost, it was almost as if you were questioning God. And... Um, you know, we, we make that distinction. So for Luther to say, we don't need relics, we don't need all this other stuff, for, for them it was a big deal. But Luther was just saying, hey, this is what Scripture teaches. And you guys say you teach Scripture. And that's why initially, what, what's fascinating to me, Luther didn't just come right out and say, okay, I'm going to break with you guys because you guys are all wrong. No, he, you, you might recall that for... Initially, when he when he uh, posted the 95 theses and then they were translated, uh, for a time he was he was sure he was almost 100% uh, confident that the Pope would change things yeah. because here you know he believed as the Catholic Church taught then and still teaches today that the Catholic that the Pope is the vicar of Christ on earth and well if he's if he's a servant of Christ then of course he would follow Christ. He would abide in his word. Jesus says, right, 
Jesus says, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And Luther, you know, believed at the time that, you know, you, you point these errors out, they're going to they're gonna repent, they're going to change, because they say they abide by the word. He found it very different. And another clip uh, that, uh, that I, I think, you know, that I, I found, I don't have it on here, but another clip is uh, when he's at the... He's at the, the Diet of Worms in 1521. And, I mean, it, it, again, this is really profound. And I, I, think, uh, I think this version is, uh, how should I say, more moving than the more recent version with Ralph Hiennes. Um, and, you know, you, you hear in, in, in the black and white, you hear Luther pleading Basically, well, you know, I can't condemn all this because this is about this and this is about this and this is about this. What they wanted him to do is, is to, uh, the Catholic Church wanted him to uh, renounce and revoke everything that he taught yeah. without detailing what it is specifically uh, that was in error. And so, so he called for that again and again. Um, let's have a council. Let's do this the Christian way. So... You know, not he said, she said, but okay, we present our beliefs, you present your beliefs. Let's look at scripture and determine these things. But the church would have, the, the Catholic church at the time would have nothing to do with that. It's almost as if I'm right, you're wrong. Well, yeah. And there's no question. Because. And the Pope didn't care. Because some of those popes didn't read <laughs> the Bible very much. Yeah. And that's the other. Uh, to me, that's the other biggie as far as the people were concerned and what they believed and what they did. They didn't have the Bible, so they really couldn't read right. God's Word. And yeah. then the, the, uh, the priests, the fathers, the whatever, mm -hmm. did not read the Bible in church. So the only thing that the people had was what, what was preached to them and told to them by word of mouth right. of the clergy. Right. And it was, and, yeah. and uh, a lot of it was inaccurate. I mean, look mm -hmm. at Notre Dame. Mm -hmm. I mean, that was, yeah. that was built with all that stuff mm -hmm. to take the place of reading the Bible because they didn't have the Bible. And what is on Notre Dame? Gargoyles and all kinds yeah. of scary, weird stuff um, to make people afraid of their sins and bring right. them back to Christ. But right. that's not the gospel. Mm -hmm. yeah. There are some apostles on there, but you right. know, but, right. but that's not <laughs> that's not what you see when you look at it. Mm -hmm. You know. Well and, and there is oh, go ahead. How, it's not any different today though. They they still do the same stuff. They just it's different, but it's the same. Well, now you don't if have you to. Wanted, if I wanted to get a divorce and I was a Catholic, I would go pay money. Mm -hmm. They would take that and, and take it to Rome, and the Pope would, I don't know, must have a room full of all this stuff, and just bless it, and he's out of there, and I get a divorce. Or it's not a divorce, it's an annulment. Mm -hmm. Even if you have 10 kids, they yeah. annul yeah. the marriage. Never as, as, yeah, as if you were never married. Yeah. Right. And of course, that's, you know, in the eyes of the church, they would say, 
you know, that's in the eyes of the church, it's the same as in the eyes of God. Right. You know, um, but yeah, it, it, it was quite problematic. And, and I, I think, I mean, this is kind of interesting. You know, I, I didn't mention anything this morning, but when we were talking about kind of like mysticism, psychics and stuff like that, I mean, there's a lot of legends too, you know, and, and folklore in, in, in Germany. Yeah. And uh, I mean, it, it, it's amazing to think of, and, and yeah, you're right. It's it's very it's 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 not very different, you know. In in some ways, yeah. But the dressing is different, but it's still kind of the same. So you know, even now, when they you know, like in the past, when the Catholic Church, for example, they would send missionaries to American Indians, or I know, like in the East, for example, um, or South America, you know, the Catholic Church. And I, I don't know if this was the Catholic Church or the missions, but they would they would often I, I think um, the cultures would assume Catholicism, but they would retain some of their beliefs, some of their practices. Right. And then they would meld them together, and that's what yeah. we have today. Yeah. Yeah, and and that's of course problematic because you know, and and it, it is a there there is a genuine concern. Um, and a very good example is just what Mexico went through on the second November, which is. Day of the yeah. Yeah. I mean that is that is both mysticism and and, and religion mixed, you know. Right. Yeah. And so. Yeah. Well, and, and it, it kind of surprised me <clears throat> in a way because I I got uh, I mean I, I'm sure the faculty and staff also got the email basically and students too, but they were talking about Day of the Dead. You know, and uh, I, I guess talking, even explicitly talking about the altars and, you know, having a, a contest, you know, and, and stuff like that, it just kind of, it, it, it struck me because I'm not used to hearing that. Well, but that's very Hispanic. That. That's, a, that's yeah. their real tradition. Right. So right. you are, so yeah. what, what they're probably trying to do is, is promote the ethnicity of what's going yeah. on, but that's a real yeah. Spanish Right. Hispanic kind of thing. Well, and, and yeah, I mean, so on that hand, you, you can appreciate the culture, you know, not necessarily the practice, of course, um, but but I, I find it kind of ironic because we're in the day and age where, okay, you can have everything else but Christianity. And yeah. I guess that's what kind of struck me because if, if, if a Christian said, okay, we celebrate Easter because of the resurrection of Jesus and you know, he forgives sins and so on and so forth. It's like, well, you can't have. I mean, I could almost hear them saying, "You can't have that in there." No. But well, you can on have. The Day of the Dead. There is, there is a, uh, there is a Christian aspect to that mm -hmm. that has been morphed into it. Yeah. Yeah. So if you, so it's different mm -hmm. now. Right. I don't know when that changed, mm -hmm. but uh, okay. from what the original, where Christianity has. Mm -hmm made an impact on it. Yeah. So yeah, but that's why. You're, yeah. you're in the, you're in the Hispanic. Yeah, I, I, yeah it, you know, this is the area, right? It's, uh, um, that you're, you're definitely, it's different, you know, it's, yeah. I mean, it's like any, anywhere else that you go, it's like going to Fredericksburg and you're with all the Germans. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah. Everybody does their yeah. ethnicity, but mm -hmm. New Mexico has a lot of the yep. okay. traditional. All right. So what what I have uh, what what I have uh, remaining 
basically the next three slides have to do with three of the solas from the Reformation. So I, I thought, you know, we, we didn't get really a chance on Saturday to, uh, to talk about these, to, to look at these. Of, of course, there's other solas too. There's solus Christus, for example, only Christ. And then you, you might re, you may um, you know see this various places, but soli de gloria, you know, glory to God alone. So there's there's sola gratia, there's sola fide, sola scriptura, only scripture, only faith, only grace, um, only uh, glory to God alone, and then uh, Christ alone. Um, but I have grace alone, faith alone, and then scripture alone. We'll see how far we get in the time that we have, but. So this is going to be review, but the thread that runs throughout the scriptures and gives unity to all the books is God's grace. So, of course, speaking of scriptures, the Old Testament and the New Testament, while God is holy, just, all-powerful, all-knowing, and the sovereign ruler of the universe, the attribute that God's word emphasizes primarily from Genesis to Revelation is his grace. And I would I would uh, suggest that uh, that this is, is, is really the big difference between Lutherans, and I keep saying that, right? This is the big difference, but but it is a, a huge difference between Catholics and Protestants on the one side and Lutherans on the other. Um, what God's grace is, what God's grace means. Because uh, on, on, on both sides, you know, they will emphasize God's sovereignty, God's justice, and, uh, and the like, uh, God's glory, for example. And we don't deny any of those things, but we, we place the emphasis, we believe the emphasis in the Scripture is not on God's glory, it's on His grace and mercy in Christ Jesus. All right, so, um, you know, a lot of times in, in various circles, Christian, non-Lutheran circles uh, most particularly, you know, you will hear Christians say, to the glory of God. You know, it, it's all to God's glory. Even Calvin, I, I believe, uh, you know, I, I think would say, you know, even even double predestination is to the glory of God. You know, double predestination, the fact that, um, not the fact, but the belief by Presbyterians held today that, that God uh, has elected that some be damned and he's elected some be saved. That's to God's glory too. <coughs> Um, there's there's a whole lot of discussion that can carry with reference to that, but I, I think it, it, it does uh, express a distinction between justification according to Scripture, and then the emphasis of God's glory. God's glory in and of itself does not save you. Think about that. God's glory in Christ does, yes, but that has to do with justification. Um, specifically. I'm going to turn at least one of the lights on. <laughs> Were we looking up? I was going to go turn them on. Okay. We're going to look at the so, scriptures. I don't know. Um, can you still see the screen there? Yep. Yeah, but yeah. we have it written here so we don't have to see the okay. screen. All right. So from Genesis to Revelation, uh, God's grace is emphasized throughout. So let's uh, let's we won't look at all of these passages, but Genesis 3.15, of course, that's, that's kind of the, the go-to of the first one um, that, that, is, uh, this, that is explicit. Now, this has to take place, of, or this takes place, of course, after the fall, after Eve was deceived and then Adam uh, partook of the fruit as well. 
Uh, could someone read verse 15, please? 16? I, no. 15. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. All right. So God is speaking with Satan, the serpent. And, uh, and what he, the, the curse on the serpent, of course, is the promise to Adam and Eve uh, that uh, though there would be enmity, there will come a time when the, the serpent's head, where Satan's head, would be crushed, or is here bruised. You know, and we see that, of course, on on the cross. So Genesis three fifteen. Um, you know, a lot of times when when we we talk about the Old Testament and we speak of the Old Testament with with. Uh, well, even Christians, but especially with non-Christians, the idea, and we've, we've, we've touched on this uh, at a previous time too, a common notion is that the God in the Old Testament is somehow bad or judgmental. judgmental. He's unfair. You know, he's... Uh, hard-hearted. He, yeah, he's hard-hearted. He, he also um, kind of does what he does arbitrarily. In other words, just like out of the blue. You know, he'll just, you know, smite a people or, or do that. That's kind of, you know, that's a kind of an extreme position. Um, but I, I, I think it does illustrate that many uh, simply just have a, an erroneous view when it comes to the Old Testament. Uh, but also with reference to the New Testament, too. Well, you know, some will say that the New Testament, oh, that's all, you know, that's all about God's love and his grace and his mercy. And it is. But there's also hard-hitting law there. Remember when Jesus, for example, when, uh, when he was with his disciples and his disciples were hungry, and it happened to be the Sabbath, and they're going through a, a, a wheat field, and they start doing some work, what the Pharisees considered work, because they were hungry, and, and, and the Pharisees asked Jesus, why do your disciples do what is unlawful on the Sabbath? You know, and, uh, and another, another time... Uh, this wasn't the Sabbath, but they didn't wash hands before they ate. Maybe COVID wasn't around then. <laughs> but uh, they didn't wash hands before eating, which is something that they would do. But they're not talking about just soap and water. They're talking about kind of ritualistically washing the hands, you know, religiously, for religious purposes. And, and Jesus, you know, uh, condemns them. Uh, you know, he, he says, you know, you, know um, you say whatever is, is, is given to, whatever is, is, uh, is to be for the parents, for example, is given to God, you know, Korban, yeah. you know, um, and, and my recollection is that that, uh, that money that they said they, they gave to God um, was actually for the support of their parents. Yeah. And... Uh, you know, basically, they, they denied that honor father and mother, claiming that they were they were doing this for the Lord, you know, kind of thing. They were being hypocritical. And a little bit later on in that same account, this is from Matthew 15. Jesus says to his disciples, because they ask him, well, tell us about you know, tell us about these things. And and Jesus says to them, um, do you not know that what goes into the mouth goes out? I don't have to be explicit, I don't think. No. Right? Um, what goes into the mouth comes out. It's what comes out of the heart that defiles in a man, not what goes in. Right? Um, and, and so, 
you know, that, that sounds like pretty strong law to me. Or when Jesus says, you know, you have heard that it was written, you know, love your, or love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say to you, love your enemy, bless those who curse you, and, and so on and so forth. I mean, that's pretty, pretty hard law. We think of Jude. I don't know if you've read Jude in a while, or First Peter, Second Peter. You know, um, Paul, he kind of lays it down pretty good. The wages of sin is death. Um, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Um, Jesus, oftentimes in his dialogue with with the Pharisees, but also with Peter, with with his disciples, said how it was, and he he held back no punches. I think it was in Matthew 23, isn't it, where where Jesus says, "Woe to you, Pharisees, hypocrites! Yeah. You whitewash tombs." You, yeah. and he just he kind of lays it out. Um, and, and again, what's he getting at? He's getting at their unbelief. All over, it's about their unbelief. So with reference to God's grace alone, of course that's you know throughout Scripture, and if it wasn't, then we would not be uh, delivered from sin and death. So we, we think of the flood. For example, that's, that account is in Genesis 6 through 9. And remember Noah? He found what in the eyes of the Lord? He found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Yeah. You know, and many will, will immediately say, well, it's because of what Noah did. You know, or because God knew that Noah would do these things that he found God's favor. Well, he, he simply believed. And, and, and that's, that's the big deal. He found favor. The, uh, the, the word there is favor. You could say grace. Um, you know, the, uh, there, there's reference in, uh, in the Catholic Church, at least, to, to mother, or Mary, right? Mother full of grace. Um, you know, the angel said, blessed are you, you know, to Mary. But it wasn't because of what she did. Um, Noah didn't have favor because of what he did. Um, why did he have God's favor? Why did Job have God's favor, even though he... Yeah, I mean, because God was gracious and good to him. Um, you know, and, uh, you know, we, we could say the same thing. I, I, don't, I don't think I have it listed, but uh, we also have the account of Deuteronomy 7, where, where God says to the people of Israel, I chose you, not because you're the... The, the most numerous of nations um, or because of really how good you are, but because I chose you and I'm keeping my promise that I made to Abraham. Why was Abraham? Why did God pick Abraham? Grace. Yeah, exactly. You know, because people want to say, okay, well, God picked Abraham because, you know, or, you know, kind of the if-then kind of thing going on, which uh, we're accustomed to in our day. But before God, it's not an if-then. It's, it's, it's by His grace and by His grace alone. How do you follow along through why are we Christians mm-hmm. by grace? Mm-hmm. It's not anything that we did. And mm-hmm. Why are we different right. than, other, than unbelievers? Yeah. Because God chose us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and that has to do with... Uh, the doctrine of election, you know, which and and by just saying that, I I, I know um, maybe not my maybe not among those here, but you know when when 
oftentimes when the doctrine of election is spoken of, people kind of, you know, start thinking, okay, it's because of me somehow, or God, like, God knew that I would believe, and therefore He chose me. That's not the point at all. Um, with the doctrine of election, you know, one account that comes to mind, uh, which is often overlooked, I think, in, in popular Christianity, and this is from Matthew 25, where you know, where Jesus says, um, you know, to those on the right, the sheep. I was hungry and you fed me. I was in prison and you, you came to visit me and, and the like. Um, do you remember how that starts off in Matthew 25? Let's look at that briefly. What's that? Yeah, not there, there's uh, after the ten virgins, I think. Yeah, a little bit later in the in the chapter, the final judgment. So, verse 31. In verse 31 of Matthew 25, when the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. Before Him will be gathered all the nations and He will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. So you can almost picture this in your mind, like one side is sheep and the other side is goats, right? Or wait, goats, sheep. Um, And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. And then the king will say to those on his right, now, now here's the point I'm trying to make here. In verse 34, the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom, prepared for you from when? The foundation of the world. Before they did anything, right? I mean, the doctrine of election speaks of that. Um, And it's not so much about patting ourselves on the back. Rather, you know, as as you were, I think, alluding to, drawing attention to, this is all the grace of God. This is all the more reason to praise God and to give thanks for Him because who am I, undeserving as I am, to receive God's grace and yet God's grace, God by means of His grace, um, because he's a loving God, continues to give and give and give uh, to me even, who is undeserving, to you, you know, and, and to his people. Um, and it, it, it's not about, well, why, you know, the, the question that often comes after that, um, after hearing that, why some and not others? You know, yeah, why? why me, why not you? That's right. And, and here... We, we, we have to be careful because we don't, God doesn't say why. He desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth, but not all are. Not all do. Until we die to yeah. be predestined. Mm-hmm. Predestination yeah. is for all, but not all are predestined to make it. Jesus said it this way He said, Many are called, but few are chosen. Not everyone believes the gospel. All right, let's um, let's see. So that was, um, you know, we, we kind of jumped to the New Testament a little bit. Um, so, you know, I, I'll, I'll let you take these home and, and study it. Isaiah 53, um, that's the uh, account of the suffering servant, you know, where, where, where it's recorded, for example, that he was stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. Um, we, we did not, 
behold his glory and, and, and so on and so forth. He was despised and rejected by men. You know, he bore our sins. He carried our sorrows. You know, he, uh, by, yeah, by his stripes we are healed. Um, also, uh, in, in, Psalm 50, or in Isaiah 53, not Psalm 53, in Isaiah 53, you know, it even mentions, too, that he, his, uh, you know, his tomb was with uh, the people. You know, or, or anyway, you know, something to the effect of his, I might be conflating that with, uh, with one of the Psalms, but, you know, his tomb was with the wicked. You know, and uh, it's kind of interesting because where was Jesus buried? In a new tomb that had not been used before? You know, remember Joseph of Arimathea, you know, and uh, I mean, there's, there's uh, you know, a lot of detail there. But in, in, in the Old Testament, God is gracious and kind. In fact, uh, in Psalm 103, we, we see that, you know, God is long-suffering and gracious you know, he, uh, he does not hold our sin against us, you know, um, and the like. So again and again, we see this. Exodus 20, I think that's the place, excuse me, I think that's the place, Exodus 20, where, where Moses asks to see God, and God covers, his, co- covers, covers uh, Moses' eyes, you know, hides him, you know, and then uh, Moses sees his backside, as it were. You know, and uh, you know, there too, I think God calls out, God is gracious, God is kind, long-suffering and abundant in mercy. And the like. And this is the Old Testament. But oftentimes, you know, with the reference to the Old Testament, you know, we think of the fall of Jericho. Um, try reading Joshua sometime and you'll see that it's, it's really down to earth. How, how the people repossess or, or uh, possess their inheritance that God gave them in the land of Canaan you know, involves a lot of war and bloodshed. Yeah, they fought for a long time. Yeah. And they still didn't get it all. No, no. And then when it comes to the prophets, of course, we have prophet after prophet after prophet calling the people to repentance. And and it is terrible what happens to them when they're when God, you know, exiles them with for example by the nation of, of Assyria and by the Babylonians a little bit later. But we mustn't forget that there was a reason for that. God had promised ahead of time that if you start worshiping other gods and defiling my name, these things are going to happen. So God was fulfilling his word. He always fulfills his word. And, and that, uh, you know, generally we think of the gospel. So we think of like Isaiah 55, my word will not return void. And, and we're right to say that, yeah, the, the God's grace, the gospel, will not return void, but also will not return void his law in condemnation and judgment. And, and that's why as, as Christians, you know, by this grace alone or with this grace alone, of course, we focus on Christ alone because, you know, we have the confidence, they say, God does not judge us because of our sins. He already has judged us because of our sins. We look to Christ. Now, that does not negate or exclude discipline. God does discipline His people, not for His sake, but for theirs. You know, and, and the illustration that comes to mind is from Hebrews, I think, chapter 12, where, where the writer speaks of you know, 
God disciplining his children out of love as a father disciplines his son or daughter out of love. Not out of spite, not out of hatred, but actually that they grow, that they mature, uh, that they, they grow in, in faith and knowledge of him. Okay. So much more could be said about God's grace in the Old Testament. Let's look to the New Testament a little bit. We're already there, I think. Um, let's go to Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2, verse 21. Could someone read that? I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Yeah, a- again, emphasizing, of course, the, uh, the death of Christ and, and the reason for it, you know, God, John 3.16, God so loved the world. And just above that, in, uh, in verse 15, in following, we ourselves, and, and this is Paul writing, he's a Jew, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. He's saying this as a Jew, by the way. And, and you know, to this idea that some have that the Old Testament is all about, you know, keeping God's law and being saved by God's law, if one holds that position, it, it's not tenable with the New Testament. Because in the New Testament, again, in the book of Hebrews, for example, you know, in, in Hebrews chapter 11, by faith we understand that the world was created by his word. By faith, Abraham. By faith, Moses. By faith, Enoch. By faith, Abel. And, and so on and so forth. Again, by faith, I'm kind of jumping into faith alone, I guess, a little bit here. But, um, you know, and, and Paul, of course, uh, references Habakkuk 2, verse 4, a couple times, the just shall live by faith. And Jesus says in John 6, for example, when the Jews ask him, what shall we do that we do the works of God? Jesus says, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he sent. That's the work of God, faith. So, so all throughout you know, Jesus' ministry, what was he doing? He was speaking what the Father gave him to speak. He was doing what his Father gave him to do. Um, not only in demonstrating and showing forth, giving these signs about who he was and what he was about, um, but uh, that they be saved by believing him. So Jesus says, whoever believes in me has eternal life. And, you know, even, even when we speak of faith, of course, as mentioned before, we're speaking also of God's grace. Because the fact that anyone believes is the work of God's grace. God is the one who gives the faith. And, and by the way, um, when we speak of grace, when we speak of faith, when we speak of belief, belief in what? Belief in Jesus as our personal Savior from sin, death, and the devil. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's not, um, you know, that's not a decision that a sinner can decide for themselves because you know think about this what does one without Christ believes what concerning salvation generally speaking one without Christ without Christ yeah either it has to be good enough or maybe the standards have to be lowered right so then he can you know I, I kind of think of it maybe I expressed this um, this way before but 
when it comes to the law and, and how um, sinners think, and this is something that, that Christians may struggle with too, but you know, the law says this, but what we want to do is we want to raise ourselves above the law or we lower the standards. So, and I, I've expressed this before. I heard this um, years ago, and, uh, you know, some theologians, I think, of the past had said this too, but, you know, God would never command us what we could not do. Have you heard that before? It's probably spoken in various ways, but in essence, it's kind of the same thing. It's like, well, the standard is not that high. Because God knows you can't do it. Um, but, but that's mis, uh, misusing, misapplying, misinterpreting, uh, misusing the text. Because God says, be holy for I am holy. In other words, be like me. Uh, we've got a problem here. Because we're not like God. But Jesus is God. And he's God um, you know, and our Savior in our place. right? So um, for us. But through faith in Jesus Christ. So, um, continuing with uh, verse 16 then, we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law no one will be justified. It's almost as if he's you know, repeating himself from what he writes in, in Romans chapter 3. We heard that a couple weeks ago. With reference to uh, with reference to Reformation, which happens to the, be the epistle. Okay, um, let's move to faith alone. We're almost out of time. Virtually all non-Christian religions teach teach a form of work righteousness, what we call synergism. You've probably heard that. That's the big word for working with, as a means of gaining the favor of the supreme being. Whoever that is, this is, you know, speaking of non-Christian religions here. It is a notion that also infiltrates the Christian church when it is implied that salvation, at least in part, depends somehow on us. Um, I, I heard this just the other day. Actually, it was last night. And I don't know, it must have cost some money for this because I think it was probably, you know, last night was the election, you know, news and, and stuff like that. But uh, Franklin Graham had another commercial out. And, and the first half of it was great. I mean, he actually mentions that Jesus died for our sins, but then he says, all you have to do is... And it's like, why do you have to say that? Um, but, you know, that it, you know and, and then if you said this prayer, then please call me and we'll pray with you and stuff like that. But, but the impression often is, if you say this prayer, now you're saved because you said this prayer, and not so much because of what Jesus did on the cross. You know, um, and, and, and again, that's another reason why preaching is different among Lutherans or should be different, you know, um, among Lutherans that, you know, a Lutheran, a Lutheran sermon will not say, OK, now, did you make a decision? You know, will you make a decision? Will you make a choice for God to believe in him? You know, and, and so and, and, and those kind of things. But uh, and notice also, if only on our decision. I mean, that's still dependent on us somehow. Scripture teaches that salvation is the result of God's grace. And Frank, you might be thinking of you know, what, you, what you spoke on Sunday from Ephesians 2, right? You, but you who were dead in your trespasses and sins, God has made alive. By grace you have been saved through faith. So we have grace alone there. We have faith alone there. Um, 
This teaching is unique to Christianity, and that's why only Christians actually believe it. Because it's a God-given. So when we speak about faith, we're not talking about a humanly derived thing. We're talking about a God-given thing. It is the basic premise of God's word and is essential to the understanding of the gospel. That is, you know, uh, faith alone. Okay, Genesis 15, 6. Um, and that, for the sake of time, we're, we're kind of... How much time do we have anyway? It's about 7.30. Is it? Oh, it's about that time. Okay, yeah. It seems to... It, it seems like it's much later, doesn't it? Yeah. It does. kind of feels that way. It's because it is. <laughs> yeah, our bodies have been adjusted. Yeah. Well, we could we could just turn the clocks, you know, back. <laughs> but uh, Genesis fifteen six, that's where, um, you know, God gives this promise in in the preceding verse. God gives this promise to Abraham, and Genesis fifteen six says, and Abraham believed God, and God credited that faith as righteousness. That faith is righteousness. You know, so, so righteousness is through faith alone, in Christ alone, according to Scripture alone. Um, we kind of we touched on Scripture alone uh, previously, but I'll, I'll leave that to you too. Um, we believe, I'll, I'll close with this, we believe that Scripture alone, not Scripture and tradition, Scripture and the church, or Scripture and human reason, or Scripture and experience, stands as the final standard of what the gospel is, rather it's the word alone. <coughs> The Bible alone, um, which uh, which the Lutheran confessions state, and we confess with them that that the scriptures, the Old and New Testaments, are the rule and norm for faith and life. So, if you want to know how to live, you want to know how to believe first. It's in the Scripture, it, it, you know, and and we only believe the Church insofar as they are um, correct with reference to what Scripture says, right? So, I mean, the church's, the church's authority is a derived authority. It's not her own um, by, by virtue of her being the church. I'm speaking of, of you know, earthly here, but uh, it's, it's by means of, of the authority given her by God. To do what? To preach the gospel, to speak the truth, to call sinners to repentance, etc., etc.